Great morning. Thank you. It's great to be uh, back with you. It's a personal pleasure always to uh, be here at Lake Avenue Church, a church that has such long and strong bonds with Fuller Theological Seminary. And it's a personal privilege this morning to open God's Word and to reflect with you on what God says to us about serving Him in our daily lives. So I want to read with you a portion of the first chapter of the Bible, the very first page of the Bible, beginning with verse 26 of the first chapter. What it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I'd like you to just concentrate with me this morning on these Words in particular, God blessed them, the human beings. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Pastor Greg has been preaching a a series on worship. If you look in your bulletin, he has uh, the definition of worship that is the guide to all of these reflections in his sermons, and it will be my guide today as well, that worship is the proper response of the whole of our lives to the triune God. And that means that worship, while it's something that certainly happens here in church, worship needs to extend beyond the church into our daily lives, where where God, again, in the words of Pastor Greg, has to be at the center both of our, of our adoration and our action, both in our personal lives and in our corporate gatherings. It's very important to reflect on this creation story, particularly on this weekend, because it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And those wonderful words that we find in this text, that God created human beings in his own image and his own likeness. That's, that's at the heart of why it is that we, we hold to the sanctity. We don't just have some abstract sense of the value of, of human beings, but that, 
Every human being is created in the very image and likeness of God. And that also extends to our celebration of the important witness to justice that was displayed in the life and ministry of of Martin Luther King. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. That's at the foundation of our quest, our continuing quest for, for racial justice. Every human being has a, a created dignity, but God did not just create us with dignity to put us up there on a shelf and admire us as trophies, but that God gave us dignity. God created us in His own image so that we might serve Him and that we might serve Him in the broad patterns of our daily lives, that we might serve Him in the world that He has created. I want to say something about that word, world. That word is used in at least three different ways in the Scriptures. One of them is just sheer geography. You know, Jesus says, go into all the world. He doesn't say anything bad about the world or good about the world. He was just referring there to the geographic expanse of of created reality. But sometimes when the biblical writers talk about world, they, they mean something bad. We find this in 1 John, where the apostle says, Love not the world or the things that are in the world. And the world there is the, the fallen created order, the, the patterns of human sinful rebellion, and we are not to love those patterns. We may be in that world, but we're not of that world in the sense of identifying with the the rebellious patterns of of sinful humanity. But there's a third sense in which the word world is a good thing. John 3, 16 and 17, which echoes a theme that we find already in Psalm 24, verse 1, where the psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein, that, that God still owns the world. God is still the one who claims rightful creator status over all things. And, and everything in the world is, is that which God loves. And, and then we read in John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world, and world there is cosmos. The, for God so loved the created order that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And then it goes on. For God sent the Son into the world, the cosmos, the created order, not to condemn that created order, but that that creation through Him might be saved. God still looks at the world that He once looked at and said, that's good, and God still loves it and wants to rescue it from the patterns of of sinful human rebellion. And so I want to talk today about that that good sense of the world, that good sense of, of worldliness, that is loving the creation and obeying the will of God in our daily lives, in, in God's world, in God's creation. Genesis one twenty eight has really three directives, three commands. God creates human beings in God's own image, and then God tells them to do some things. And he gives them really three commands. First, we might call the the procreative mandate. He says, have babies. He says to Adam and Eve, okay, I made you, but you gotta, you got to work at 
filling the earth with human beings. He says, be fruitful and multiply. The procreative mandate. They are to have babies. God wants there to be a lot of human beings, not just those two people in the garden. But then secondly, he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, he's not talking about babies there. Because you don't fill, fill the earth with babies and then subdue them. Huh? But he's talking there about, about the patterns of human culture. About the stuff that we human beings, under the guidance of God, are to add to God's original creation. Let me illustrate that. Here, God, God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. That's raw nature. And he tells them to fill it with their own kind of stuff. And so let's think about that first day. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They, they pick out a, a domestic space that's going to be where they, they sort of hang out most of the time. And Eve says, you know, let's right under that tree there, let's clear that off. There's some leaves and twigs and branches there. And so Adam goes over and he starts kicking things around. She says, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. And she goes over and... And she takes a, a branch off a tree and she strips the, the leaves and the twigs off it. And then she starts to clear the, the leaves and the other debris away. And she says, you see, this is, we'll call this a rake. And I'll rake today and you rake tomorrow. And let's do it about the same time of day. Now, in that little interaction, they've already added some stuff to the creation. Piece of a tool. She she took raw nature, a branch of a tree, and she fashioned it into a primitive tool, a, a rake. So you got technology. Wasn't there before. Secondly, she gives it a label. It's a labeling system, human language, classification, taxonomy, and the like. Thirdly, a distribution of labor. You know, I'll do it today, you do it tomorrow. And then finally, uh, a schedule about this time every day. Huh? And in that little interaction, she's already together. They have already begun to fill the garden with something that isn't just raw nature, but it's the, the works of human hands, the, the works of culture. And God wanted that. And if they'd kept at it, they would have added a lot of other things, the patterns of family life. The patterns of worship, the patterns of recreation, the patterns of decision-making, all of that they would have added to the garden. They would have filled the earth. And then that's the cultural mandate. And then thirdly, there's what we might call the management mandate. And he says, and have dominion. Ma manage the affairs of, of the creation. And, uh, and all of that they were to do with... Uh, with, with two things in mind. The one is that it's very important, too, there to do it together. This was a shared management, a shared working together to manage the affairs of the garden. Now, I've, got to, I've got to illustrate that, too, because, you know, in, in Genesis 1, we get a real snapshot. You know? I mean, it goes real quick. God created man in his own image, male and female created them. Then in Genesis 2, the Spirit of God says, okay, let's go over that. In slow motion. We're going to do the slow motion replay. And here's how that God created humankind in God's own image. Male and female created them. Here, here, here's how it happened in detail. God created a man. 
And he looked at that man and he said, that's good, not good enough yet. I need another one. Uh, he needs a helper. And it's at that point that Adam is called to name the animals. You, you know, I was, I was raised to think that when Adam named the animals, it was the first act of dispassionate scientific technolo- uh, taxonomy. Huh? That he stood there and he said, oh, I've got to name the animals now. God told me to. And call that one an elephant. Call that one a weasel. Call that one a chipmunk. Call that one a sparrow. Call that one a sea bass. That's not, that's not what was going on. He's naming the animals because he's looking for a helper. This is how it goes. Elephant. Nope, that won't do. Weasel. No way is that a partner. Chipmunk. Nope, not that tiny little thing. Sparrow, no way. Sea bass, uh-uh. And then it says, and after he named all the animals, there was not to be found a helper that was fit for him. And it's at that point that God puts him to sleep. You know what it was like? It was like desperately wanting a date and you spend the whole day alone at the zoo. That's what it was like. <laughs> And so God puts him to sleep. And I think God must have said to himself, and just in case anybody is ever remotely inclined to think that she's inferior to him, I'm going to use exactly the same stuff that I used to make him. In fact, I'll take it right out of him. And God took the rib out of the man and fashioned the woman. And then one of the other translations has a, a marvelous response. Adam wakes up and he sees Eve and he says, At last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. After that, that motley parade of the animals, At last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And the Lord God says to the two of them, Okay, together do the work of filling the garden with human culture and managing the affairs of the garden in obedience to my will. A shared feeling, but also an obedient feeling. I'm a Presbyterian, so you'll forgive me for saying one Presbyterian thing today. The first question and answer of the shorter Westminster Catechism, very famous formulation. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of a human being? And the answer is this, to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. We were created to glorify God, not just in a passive sort of way, but to glorify God in doing the work of God, the work that God calls us to do in managing the affairs of the creation. But then sin messes it all up. It messes up uh, that, that wonderful relationship between the man and the woman, which is really not just about marriage. It's about friendship. It's about community. It's, it's about all of us, married or unmarried. We need that kind of community. But you know what happens? The serpent comes to Eve and... And says, hey, uh, there's a really nice tree over there. It's got some really good fruit on it. He says, oh, no, there's no way I can do that because the Lord God said that we are not to eat. That's the one tree in the garden we're not to eat the fruit of. And then the serpent says, did God say that? You don't have to trust God. He's just doing a power play. And in fact, if you eat of that fruit, you can be your own God. You can run the show yourself. And that was the fatal moment. And then she entices Adam into eating the fruit. And, and later on, God comes looking for Adam, and he, 
he yells out at Adam and he says, where are you? And, and, and the Lord God says, what happened, Adam? And you know what Adam says? It was the woman you gave me. Yeah. I mean, you stuck me with her. Yeah. Just one chapter before, he's saying, at last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Now he's saying, it was the woman that thou gavest me. And human relationships get disrupted and distorted as a result of human rebellion. There's suspicion, accusation, competition, rebellion against each other, as well as rebellion before the face of God. Human relationships got disrupted and that spread into the larger family. It only takes a little while before their kids are killing each other. It only takes a few chapters and human beings as a collective community aren't just making rakes, but they're saying, let's build a tower and go to heaven on our own that, that will reach the heavens. And technology becomes a grand rebellious enterprise. Politics gets messed up. Family life gets messed up. Recreation gets messed up. Economic life gets messed up. Farming gets messed up. Sin disrupts the patterns of the good creation. And God is grieved. But God looks down on that rebellion that now permeates the whole creation. And God says, I'm not going to let sin have the last word. And God calls into being a people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And He doesn't want them just to worship Him on their Sabbath day, but He wants them to live all of their lives in obedience to to His will. So that in creating the people of Israel, calling them into being, He wants them to show the rest of the nations what it's like for a community, for a people to live in obedience to the will of God in all areas of human life. And so they have new patterns of how to farm and how to conduct their political lives and how to live as families and married couples and neighbors and recreation people and military people. In all spheres of human life, they're called to live in obedience to the will of God so that the, the other nations may see what it's like to have God's original creating purposes restored in the life of a renewed community. But even more important, finally Jesus comes. And God creates the body of Jesus Christ who have been brought together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation through the blood that was shed on Calvary. And God says to that people, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all to my honor and to my glory. And we too are called to glorify God and to enjoy God forever in all areas of life. So God wants us to be the disciples of Jesus showing forth His will in the way we think and act about politics, in the way in which we think and act about manufacturing and farming and and professional football and the courtroom and family life and, and all of those other areas of life that were a very important part of what he meant for human beings to be doing when he said, fill the earth and have dominion over the works of our hands under the will of God. So in Jesus Christ, we too have been called to be together as a people who are living out a way of life that is in obedience to the will of God. Talked to a campus pastor recently. He told me a young man came to him and said, I'm dating this girl. I think I'm falling in love, but I'm not sure. Do you think I'm really in love with her? And he says, well, I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you this. You will be sure that you are really in love with her when your relationship with her starts to matter in all of your other relationships. So that how you think about other people, 
what kinds of relationships you form and what kinds of decisions you make typically have something to do with how you feel about her. And we can extend that to our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That in everything that we do, in the decisions that we make, in the ways in which we decide how to spend our time, how to spend our money, how to pattern our relationships, how to conduct our daily lives, how to work in, in, in the workplace and in the schoolroom, that in all of those areas, we think about what, how that will affect our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's at the center of our lives. What does that mean for our daily lives? Our daily work and play, our daily interactions, our, our relationships. Let me mention three things. The first is this. It means that we have to care about what God cares about. It means that because God loves the creation, that God cares about the created order that he once looked down on and said it's good, that, that we too need to care about that. That we have to honor God's creating purposes. And that means, among other things, simply taking delight in creation. You know, there's Genesis 1. If you read it over again today, there's some wonderful stuff. God, one before God gets around to creating human beings, he, he looks at a puddle and he says, let there be swarms. Huh? And then suddenly there are swarms and he looks down and he says, that's good. He creates the birds of the air, and he sees the eagle flying, and he says, that's good. That God takes delight when a tree bears fruit. God takes delight when the sun shines on the earth, and when the rain falls. God takes delight in those things, and, and we need to take delight in them too. G.K. Chesterton, wonderful Christian writer, many of you know about has a nice little passage in, in one of his books. He says, you know, the way God looks at the creation and takes delight in the creation is more like a human child than a human adult. You know, we adults get kind of jaded and we don't really take simple delight in things. Kids do, and God does too, Chesterton says. And what he has in mind is something like this. I, I've got two grandsons, and when Peter was about three or four years old, he would sit on my lap and... I won't do that. I don't even ask about it. But I, I would make a funny face, what he thought was a funny face. And he would say, make that face, Grandpa, and I would do it. And he would just roar, just laugh. And then he'd say, do it again. And I'd do it again. And he'd laugh as hard the second time as the first time. And then he'd say, do it again, Grandpa. And I'd do it again. And he'd laugh as hard the, the, the third time as the first and the second time. And he just kept wanting me to do it again. And each time he took a, a simple delight in that. And Chesterton says, that's the way God is. Yeah. Every morning God says to the eagle, do it again. And he looks at the eagle and he says, that's good. Every morning God looks at the swarms and the, and the puddles and he says, do it again. And they start swimming around and God says, that's good. Every morning God says to the sun, do it again, shine again on the earth. And the Lord God says, that's good. And I want to say to you, when you're called upon in a day to love your family, the Lord God says to you, do it again. And when you do it, God says, that's good. When you go off to work, the Lord God says, do it again. And when you do your work well, the Lord God says, that's good. When you take your, 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 your duties as a citizen seriously, and the Lord God says, do it again, and you do it, 
God says that's good. God takes delight in the good ways in which we live out our daily lives in obedience to his will. And that means secondly, so the first is we've got to take delight in that in which God takes delight. And secondly, that means we've got to learn to see things from God's perspective and not from our own. One of my favorite writings is, uh, spiritual writings, is uh, uh, a woman has become a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, St. Teresa of Lisieux, L-I-S-I-E-U-X, a, a French region. Teresa of Lisieux was about 15 years old when she pleaded for a special dispensation to enter a Carmelite convent before she was really old enough to do so, and they let her in. She died before she was 30, but in those 10 or 12 years that she was in that convent, she kept a, a diary, and it's, it's still in print under a number of different editions, but Diary of a Soul, it's what it's usually called by Teresa of Lasalle. And in there she, uh, she talks, she just was passionately in love with Jesus. And she talks to Jesus and about Jesus in her, in her diary. And at one point she says, Jesus, there's this other nun that I can't stand. And I know Satan doesn't want me to like her, but I know you want me to like her and to honor her because you created her. You are the artist who fashioned her, and every artist likes other people to appreciate his work. And so I'm learning to appreciate her, Lord Jesus, as your work of art. And she was uh, viewing other people in terms of art appreciation, and we need to do something like that. My wife's an art historian, and our son says that that means that his father has set, sat on the steps of some of the great art museums of the world. Uh, I don't get it. i, I got to work hard to appreciate many works of art, but we do have to work hard at appreciating God's works of art to see people in the ways in which God sees them and to appreciate even when they're marred by sin, even through the scars of their rebellion, even through the distortions that that they may bring to the world that we need to go beyond those surfaces and see what God fashioned them to be and honor God's creating purposes for other human beings. And then thirdly, we need to claim our daily lives to Jesus. There are no easy answers. It's not easy to know how to serve the Lord in some of the jobs that some of you have. Not even easy to always know how to serve the Lord as president of Fuller Theological Seminary. It takes discernment. We need each other. We need to find ways of talking with each other. This past week, Group, uh, I, I co-sponsored a, a, a luncheon with um, Rabbi Mark Diamond of the Southern California Council of Rabbis. We had some rabbis and pastors who got together to talk about faith in Hollywood. And we had two evangelical Christians who are involved in Hollywood and two Jews who are involved in Hollywood. One of them, one of the Jews, Orthodox Jew, an observant Jew, very strict in his observance. And he was a, a writer for, um, he's, a, he's a, a, a sitcom writer, and he wrote for uh, Friends. I meant to look this up, but I, I haven't seen the show. But The Adventures of the Older Christine, something like that. Anyway, he's, he's the writer for that. Uh, brilliant guy. But he shared with us how difficult it is in Hollywood at times uh, to be an Orthodox observant Jew who believes that God 
likes certain things and doesn't like other kinds of things. And, and you're writing comedy in Hollywood. And as evangelical Christians, we have those same kinds of struggles. We have struggles in, in our business life, in our family life, in our entertainment, in the, the recreation that we engage in, in, in all areas of life. And it's so important that we get together and that we talk about these things. Uh, it's so important that we gather as God's people to honor and to acknowledge that God alone is Lord over all things. But it's also important that we, we get into small groups and that doctors talk to other doctors who are Christians. Nurses talk to other nurses. Business people. Entertainment people. Athletes. Teachers. Students. That we... We find ways of talking to each other about how we can discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for honoring the purposes of God, the, the creating and redeeming purposes of God in our daily lives. What does it mean for us to honor God in the insurance business, in the ways in which we play, in our, our family life, how we relate to co-workers, how we eat, how we entertain ourselves, all of those kinds of things. And, and it's not easy, but we need to struggle with that. We need to claim the territory for Jesus. I wrote a book recently with the title, Praying at Burger King. I'll tell you the main story of the book, and then you don't have to buy it. My publisher would die if he heard me say that. But I told a story about a time that I was eating with a friend at Burger King, and we got our Whoppers and fries and Diet Cokes and sat down in a crowded Burger King. And I said, let me ask God's blessing. And bowed our heads, and I prayed, and afterward, he said, you know, I, I was a little uncomfortable. I mean, I, I, I pray a lot, but praying at Burger King, you know, he said, it's kind of uh, little kids running around, and the smell of French fries in the air, it's a crowded place, a lot of noise. He said, it's hard to get into a spiritual mood in, in Burger King, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, you don't have to get into a spiritual mood in order to honor God's Lordship over Burger King. You don't have to get in a special mood to acknowledge somebody else's presence. You're walking through the mall. And you see somebody you haven't seen for two years. You say, gee, I'd, I'd like to greet that person, but I'm not, I, I really need to work at getting in the mood. No, you don't do that. You go right up to them and you just say, hey, good to see you, right? Because they're there, and it's important sometimes to acknowledge that they're there, whether you've gotten ready to acknowledge that they're there or not, whether you're in the right mood or not. And the important thing to acknowledge is that God is the Lord over Burger King, and In-N-Out Burger, and McDonald's, and Wendy's, and, and, and Taco Bell, and all the rest. Huh? And so it's important for us, even when we're not in the mood, to bow our heads and say, Lord, this is this too is a part of the world and the fullness thereof over which you are Lord. And these little kids running around, the people cooking the french fries may not know this, but I want to say something that they don't know, but I know, and that is that you are the Lord of this place. And it's important for us to go into our workplace and to claim that territory for Jesus. Go into our classrooms and claim the territory for Jesus. Go into our homes or the other places where we live and claim the territory for Jesus. When you're sitting in front of the television set this afternoon watching San Diego play, claim that territory for Jesus. <laughs> we need to acknowledge His Lordship 
over all areas of our lives. I got to tell you something about grits. That southern addition to most breakfasts that you get when you're in the south. Uh, a Roman Catholic priest friend of mine told me that he uh, he went to the south for the first time and uh, got up in the morning in the hotel, went down to the hotel restaurant reading the menu and he called the waitress over and he said, ma'am, what's a grit? And she says, honey, they don't come by themselves. <laughs> and he used that as a, an example, he told me in a sermon about the body of Christ. We don't come by ourselves. Well, I told that story someplace and a friend of mine who's a theologian in the South sent me an email. He said, I got another good grit story for you. He said, maybe you should write a book about grits. So this one I heard from uh, some folks who work at uh, the Waffle House chain. Guy goes into a Waffle House. He orders a waffle, scrambled eggs, and bacon. The waitress brings it to him, and there's also grits on the place, plate. He said, ma'am, I didn't order grits. She said, honey, you don't order grits. It just comes. <laughs> My friend who's a Calvinist theologian said, that's, that's good Calvinism. Grace. You don't order grace. It just comes. And that's so important for us to think about those grits illustrations as we enter into our daily lives. First is we need each other. We don't come by ourselves. We need the discernment that comes from the body of Jesus Christ gathering together and asking the Lord to give us wisdom for the ways in which we live our daily lives. And we need the dialogue among ourselves about how to, to live out that, that service to the Lord. And secondly, it's really all about grace. And that's why we're here this morning. And we don't order it, it just comes. It just comes to God's people. And let's pray to the God of all grace. Holy God. We praise you that we are not our own, that we belong to you, and we also belong to each other as brothers and sisters in a global community of faith drawn from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we pray that we may be obedient to your will. And with an eye toward that obedience, we ask that you will once again shower us with your grace and strengthen us so that we may do your will in our daily lives. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.